Good evening, I'm, I'm Sam Ruddock and I'm here at the UEA Drama Studio with Joseph O'Connor, author of the Summer Reed Selected Ghostlight. Um, Joseph, welcome to Norwich. Well, it's lovely to be here. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the book follows um, a fictionalised um, version of the relationship between the great Irish playwright John Singh and the great Irish actress Mo- Molly Allgood. Uh, what was it that drove you to write about um, John Singh? Well, I suppose the story of Singh and Molly has been with me since I was a child. You know, I grew up in suburban Dublin in the late 1970s and 80s. And where we lived was like a modern housing estate. Um, But about a mile from where uh, the house I grew up uh, was, um, there was another house, a slightly decrepit, crumbling Victorian house, where my late mother used to point out to us uh, Singh had lived um, the last few difficult years of his life. And I passed that house twice a day as a child on my way to and from school. And I remember my mother stopping us sometimes and she'd point up at the window on the first floor and say, did you see that room? That's the room where Singh worked. That's the room where he wrote The Playboy of the Western World. And Yeats visited that house. And she'd say to us, where we're about to walk now on the seafront at Dunleary, that's where those people walked. And it hasn't changed that much. And isn't it a wonderful thing that those people were part of the inheritance that we have in Ireland. So it just, the story became part of my DNA, I guess, at an early age. And finally it just came out. I mean, I was attracted to the story, I suppose, because it's a classic love story um, in some ways. These two characters are from very different worlds, very different backgrounds and social classes, and temperamentally very different. And so ironically, you know, it seems on paper that they couldn't have met, um, but but in truth they did. And I think it was a way of writing about love. I think of it as a love story for grown-ups, I suppose, for people with a bit of baggage, which is most of us. Um, and I suppose to be released into the world where you could write in a lyrical way um, that was prevalent in Irish writing at the time was a very happy release from the kind of stark, spare prose style which most young writers had in the years when I was starting off. So those are some of the reasons. So did it always feel like a book that you, or did writing about Singh always feel like something you were slightly destined to write? Or did it just kind of pop into your head um, and come together that way? I I don't know, to be honest. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's Ghostlight is my seventh novel, and when I look at any one of my novels... I, I, I just, I'm mystified as to how it got onto the page. I really am. I mean, I can tell you that I had a few stabs at it, you know, over the years. I had one version of this story, which is very chronological and conventional, I suppose, and written in the third person, but I felt it was just turning into one of those um, museum piece historical novels, which I don't like very much. And then I began a version where Singh himself was the narrator written in the first person and that was a very interesting experiment because of course exactly the same story told by a different character is a very different story indeed but I found any time I began you know exploring how I might write Ghostlight um, at moments when the character of Molly Allgood drifted into a scene a kind of crackle of electricity would, would go across the page and I just 
It took me a while to see that this character was saying to me, you know, this is my book, let this book be mine. Um, and as soon as I did, as soon as I ha allowed her to sort of step to stage front, all sorts of things about the book revealed themselves mm. to me. I had a lot of joy writing the book, which doesn't always happen, you know, writing's hard work. Um, but I loved this character so much that, you know, I would come down to work in the mornings with a great sense of anticipation uh, uh, about what Molly and I would get up to <laughs> today. Yeah, I was, I was wondering whether the, the absence of um, Molly's letters to John um, allowed you the space to kind of create her voice a little bit um, yes, it did. more yeah. in fictional language as opposed to... Yes, um, I mean, both of the characters are fictional. You know, Ghostlight is a novel, and I make it very clear in the acknowledgements... Um, at, to, the, at the, to the extent where you say that certain biographers might want to hit you over the head with a shovel. With a turf shovel, yeah. 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 No, it, I mean, the characters are really my imagining of what those two people were like. They were both very guarded and full of privacies. And the love story, I mean, most people's love stories are conducted away from prying eyes, you know, even now. But they certainly were then. Um, and as you say, one half of a very extensive correspondence that they exchanged is missing. Molly wrote maybe 500 letters to sing in the course of this two-year uh, courtship, and they're all gone. So yes, I mean, you're right. I think there's something about that silence at the heart of the story that makes it attractive to to a storyteller, and also that makes it possible. I mean, if we had a very, very clear picture uh, and a chronology of what this relationship was like, it mightn't have lent itself so much to, to fiction. But it it is a work of fiction. It assumes no knowledge of Singh or, or Molly Olgood and in fact a lot of Irish people themselves wouldn't have that much knowledge about it. It's a secret love affair for me, <laughs> so that's the best kind. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you mentioned trying to write it in the third person and other and other person. What was it that drove you to write it partially in the second person? Because it's kind of, it's a, it's a narration it's a mix, style yeah. that I really appreciate and mm. I really enjoy yeah. but you don't encounter it very often. Well, funnily enough, I find in life that you encounter it mm. every day. Um, the use of the second person as a narrative form, you notice that children do it all the time. I've just done it myself. There I said, you notice. Do you know what I mean? Like, children seem to sort of flip into this very easily. I think there's a connotation of intimacy that comes from the use of the second person. To use the word you about somebody assumes an immense amount of knowledge. Mm. Um, also, since it is a love story, if you could boil down the very complicated set of feelings that we call love, I suppose most of them do come down to the word you. Um, and the book tries to mix the voices in which it's told. Sometimes Molly writes in the first person, sometimes she sees her, herself in the third, she sort of steps outside herself, and then sometimes there's a, there's a you voice. And I think it's just... Um, an ability for fantasy and empathy that we all have. I think most of us actually do this every single day. The world would be a really crushing and unbearable place if we only saw it, you know, in the first person or the third person. Mm. Um, thankfully, you know, our DNA or our soul or our imagination or God or whatever it is um, has allowed us this wonderful ability that's at the heart of fiction. Um, to play, to fantasize. So we sometimes experience the world looking out through our eyes. 
we sometimes look at ourselves, we sometimes look at ourselves in a different guise and we wonder and I suppose it's that very process that's at the heart of the fictional experience. If people didn't have an ability to temporarily be somebody else, there would be no stories. That's why we turn to stories. So I think it's all of those things, plus of course the added ingredient that Molly is an actress. You know, her stock in trade is the ability to become somebody else. So I think she has that human ability slightly intensified because of her life and her profession. So it was just a question of trying to find a voice that would be true to Mm. that. And does that second person also create a kind of very enclosed um, slightly slightly coming coming apart at the seams atmosphere um, that Molly is going through on her day walking around London? Well I I think possibly it's the mix of voices that, that allows that feeling to happen. I mean at another level you know she's she's an elderly woman who lives by herself she talks to herself, you know, she describes, she talks to the teacups. Um, I mean, if I make it to her age, um, you know, maybe I'll do, maybe I'll do the same thing, you know. Um, it's really just an attempt to be true to, to the character. Like in a, in a different sort of novel, I think it would be ludicrous to write um, in that way. But, but, you know, it was, it was fun. It was an attempt to give the book texture. I suppose it's a nod to the Joycean tradition as well. Because, you know, I can remember when I set out to write Ghost Light, a lot of which is set in Dublin in 1906, 1907. I can remember saying, I wonder, you know, did anyone ever write a book about that Dublin? You know, that would be helpful for me in my research. I wonder what Dublin was like then, um, in the world in which Molly and Singh are courting. And then it suddenly (laughs) (laughs) dawned on me, yes, there there are several books um, uh, about that that subject. So I, I suppose rather than hide the influence that, that I tried to nod towards it and not quite to quote from it but to import some of the texture of um, that beautiful stream of consciousness that Joyce does in the middle of Ulysses, particularly when he's writing about Leopold Bloom, where it's sometimes first person, it's sometimes second, it's sometimes third, it's sometimes first person, plural. And he has a, such a great generosity and openness towards the world. So it was really an attempt to to, to kind of tip the hat to, mm. to that. And that choice in influence comes through in the handy link of Molly's name being Yes, Molly yes. Well, funny you mention it because I, I read Molly Bloom's soliloquy again um, a while ago, a wonderful piece of writing that it is. And a rather literary piece to the extent that um, Molly Bloom speculates in the course of this great long you know river of language she mentions books she likes and books she doesn't like and what kind of writing she likes and right in the middle of it she says I hate books that have a Molly in them um, and if I had remembered that at the time I think I would have used that as a, as a little quote <laughs> the the yeah 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 <laughs> Um, um, you mentioned earlier the kind of that you don't quite know how you write books, and one of the most startling phrases I found it goes like was the bit where um, you talk about John Singh's process of writing mm. and that kind of hesitancy, the the fear of, of breaking it, the careful treading, mm. um, not wanting to make a uh, um, freeze. What did that come from? Your experience of writing, or is that something that I John suppose it did. is in his diaries? No, or his no, or? no. I think Singh was actually a, a, he had a brilliant ability to be able to carry around the architecture of a story in his head. He didn't actually draft 
much at all. He, he Maybe it's something that comes from the drama, you know, he had a playwright's ability to be very organized about stories. He would think and think and think, come up with a shape, and then he would write pretty quickly. And he was famous in that little world of the theater for never changing a syllable. Then he would have tremendous fights with the actors about, you know, that the words have to be the words. I suppose it's just since it's a book in which a writer uh, figures, and I hate novels about writers, it's <laughs> usually a sign that the novelist has really gone off the boil, you know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, needs to get out more. But I, I thought I'd, n I'd never really read a book which described the process of literary creativity as an exciting thing. So I just tried to give it a sense of of that, you know, mm. that, that, that um, there's a scene in the book which my wife says is very, it's very like me, where poor old Molly comes into a cafe in Dublin to meet him for a date and he's writing. So his right hand is writing in his notebook and he holds up his left hand like a policeman <laughs> stopping the traffic. Don't even look at me, you know. Um, and I think most writers would have an experience of that, that the world does kind of stand still in the way that it does for the reader. You know, there's nothing mystical about it. We all know that experience as readers. When you enter the world of a book that you love, the hours uh, disappear. Yeah. You know, there's an ancient Celtic fairy tale um, about a, a man coming home late at night, you know, from a dance in Connemara. He's probably had a few drinks and he meets a beautiful woman on the road who's a fairy. Um, and she invites him into her house and he stays the night with this beautiful fairy and we have to imagine what happened between them. And when he leaves the next morning, he's 30 years older, you know, in the space of one mm -hmm. night. But I think it's kind of, I think it's a metaphor for what happens when we enter the world of the story. All sorts yeah. of strange things happen to time, you know, and um, so we all know that experience. I don't think there's anything unusual about it. It's just trying to open it up in a way that the reader will will recognize it. You know, I suppose yeah. that's what you want, particularly in a historical novel. There's just always the danger that, you know, it's a recitation of facts which might be interesting, mm -hmm. but actually they're not going to be touching in any way. I think there's a particular onus on a novel set in the past to be about now. Yeah. Um, so you sort of fill it with, it's a novel about, you know, a playwright and an actress. You fill it with how wonderful it is that we have stories, you know? Yeah. So, so I, I think of a ghostlight really as, as much a novel about that as it is about the two people. Mm. And bringing it on to just kind of finally bringing it to a close, talking about readers. Obviously, Ghostlight is part of Summer Reads. It was recently part of Dublin One City One Book. Yeah. Um, program. What do you think um, a kind of community reading program brings, um, both to readers and possibly to authors? Um, I, I think it's a, it's the most wonderful new thing. I mean, I don't remember this when I was a kid. You know, reading was a, a solitary activity and, and, you know, in some senses perhaps a rather furtive one. Um, and for me, it will never quite get beyond that. I mean, I love reading alone. I sometimes think that, you know, I love giving readings, but I, I sometimes think that you lose so much hearing work read aloud. Mm. Um, if you hear a poet reading aloud, you, you know, you don't even know how long the poem is going to be. You know, you miss all sorts of subtleties in the language. So um, I think the world of the reading and the festival, they're absolutely fantastic when it comes to including people, giving people a reason and a timetable. And there's something in that sort of collaborative 
um, thing of the book group that's you know been very helpful for bringing people back to reading I think it's great but there's no substitute for actually being in a room by yourself with a book couldn't agree more and what a perfect way to end thank you very much thank Joseph you. and enjoy the event tonight thank you very much